The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. Today, we are going to the top of the mountain outside Whoville? Sort of? Whoville? Newville. Newville. I mean, if we say Whoville, do we get sued? I have no idea how this works. Anyhow, what we're tackling today is not the Grinch, because that would be crazy, but rather the 2022 parody called The Mean One, a horror take on the classic tale by Dr. Seuss. After scrutinizing this coal that we found in our stocking for this holiday episode, Mike and I will offer our bottom five gifts or presents because neither one of us want to say gifts over and over again. Gifts. Gifts. Yep. Bottom five presents. It is. But before we get into any of that, Mike, how you feeling tonight? (laughs) Are you feeling like, are you feeling Christmassy? Are you feeling like the holiday vibe? All the Who's down in Whoville liked the mean one a lot, but the guys that filmed Jitsu most certainly did not. <laughs> they hated this movie, the whole Grinch retelling. Now, please don't ask why, or Jason might just start yelling. It could be that the script was a pile of junk. It could be that perhaps the acting quite stunk. But I think the most likely reason of all is that the film's laughs were two sizes too small. Whatever the reason, the laughs or the script, we stood here on Christmas hating this shit. But before we get into this whole Grinchy failure, Jason and I say, let's Let's roll roll the the trailer. trailer. Remember that story about Cindy you-know-who? When her Christmas was stolen, she knew what to do. Why, Santa Claus? Why? But what if I said that's not how it went down? Gonna be okay because we can turn around right now. No, that poor girl. Her mother was killed. Her mind snapped. Did you ever find the Christmas killer? Never got a reliable description of the man. Us folks down in Newville, we liked Christmas a lot. But that thing that lives just north of Newville does not. What is it? The mean one. So, Mike, we decided with the holidays now upon us. We threw out the usual schedule, we'll get back to that soon enough, and decided to do a special holiday episode, and as a result, we decided to watch a holiday-themed horror film, and a very odd one at that, or should I say, a mean one. (laughs) We're kind of living in a time of, I guess, a horror Christmas renaissance, really, Mm -hmm. We've had movies like Krampus and a lot of different horror Christmas comedies over the last five years or so. Even this year, coming out now, who knows if it's even in theaters for a week's time, is It's a Wonderful Knife, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I swear I made that joke yeah, that earlier was you. this year. Yeah, okay. I, would, I would be looking into the legal matters if I were you. I think that you might have a strong case. We have it on tape. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Jay, where do you stand on 
Christmas horror. I don't. There's a lot of these movies. I don't. Like none? I, I, I none. I, I don't think Christmas? there's a single one. Oh shit! Of course, Black Christmas. Yes. But that's not a comedy. Well, no, it's. <laughs> so I like my I like my Christmas comedies. I love Black Christmas. It's funny. I don't think of it as a Christmas movie. It doesn't. Right. You know, people. I. This is a thing that we've touched on in the past, right? When people say Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes Ugh. place during Christmas, right? Right. Okay, I get it. But it's not fucking about Christmas, so shut the right. fuck up. And it's the same thing with Black Christmas. It's not... A lot of people, horror fans in particular, will say, my favorite movie to watch around the holiday is Black Christmas. I'm like, oh, that's great. It's a slasher movie. That's really what it is. Actually, it's like more of a mystery thriller with some mm-hmm. some cool deaths in it and a, and a unique first-person camera yeah. that was done before Halloween. So I think that Bob Clark's Black Christmas, I want to be really clear, not the remake, um, is, a, is a fantastic film. But I don't consider it a Christmas movie. This movie has more Christmas in its DNA than Black mm. Christmas does. Mike, what do you think of this? What do we describe this as? <laughs> The satire, this foolishness, it's, this... I think they, I mean, what, I think what it counts is this exactly? I think they... Legally, this has to be parody. Oh, right? I see what you mean. Yeah, so it's almost like the lawyers got involved and they said, hey, you know, you've got to yeah. call this a parody. It's not funny. No, it's not funny. <laughs> no, it's not funny at all. <laughs> so I have trouble calling it a parody. Well, I don't know that a parody means it has to be funny, but it's trying to be something else. Uh, that that's for sure. I would like my parodies to be funny, but uh, I guess the best way for me to describe the mean one is imagine watching a porn parody where they edited out all the sex scenes and you just had to watch the acting. That's this movie. That makes so much more sense than anything that I could wrap my head around. When I was watching this, I really, it, it seemed like just a cash grab. And that right. made me not feel as bad about hating it as much as I did. Because okay. to be perfectly honest, all throughout this, I got a little bit ragey because I only have so much time during every week or every day or every night or <laughs> holiday this, season. <laughs> this was just an absolute shocking waste of time from beginning to end. It abandons all logic. It abandons its source material. It, at first, it seemed like it was... It's kind of sticking a little bit close and kind of playing. Yep. And then it just goes off on its own. It's wildly uneven in tone. It, You know, if it was a porn thing, it probably would have been even funnier, even with the porn scenes cut out. You mean the Grinch who boned Christmas? Of course there that's you. the answer. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to ask Google, but I'm sure that exists somewhere. <laughs> so what if you're the Grinch? I think you're sweet. And I think we're both a little blinded and need to be reminded of Christmas love. It wants to be a horror film, but it's not scary. It wants to be comedic, but it's not funny. It wants to be a drama, but no one can act except for one person. And I have to say, I was pretty surprised by the performance of Crystal Martin in the lead role as Cindy, whose last name we cannot say for legal reasons. Right. (laughs) Right. I have to say, she's a, a stunt woman and has quite a few credits under her belt. This is one of her only bigger acting roles. And it, I felt bad hating on the movie after a while because she was really giving it her all. Yeah, She knew 
that this was kind of a sloppy mess, but she knew how to handle the material and make it into decent real fodder for herself <laughs> like any any one mm -hmm. of these scenes taken out of context of the film and put into an acting reel meh, maybe not so bad right it almost seemed to me that she was getting a little bit of everything out there right striking up a little bit of chemistry with chase mullins character of uh, deputy burke they <laughs> genuinely had moments where they they did okay together yeah they did or perhaps some of the arguments that she had with Eric Baker's Sheriff Hooper character, who also, you know, it, it wasn't that the entire cast couldn't act. It was just that they were all really uneven. But yeah. Crystal Martin each time would bring the best out of them, except for the guy that played the dad. There's just so much scenery chewing from him right from the get-go. And the thing is, if I'm not mistaken, in the cold open of this film, that's his wife that gets killed. It is, yeah. And yet he, you know, 20-odd years later, is making jokes about PTSD and trauma Yeah, he's a real barrel of laughs, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's... He's a real chuckle house, that dad. You have no idea how happy I was when the skewer went through his eye and he was gone from the film. I was like, oh, thank God. I think I wrote in my notes, oh, thank God he's gone. <laughs> we can do this. Let's stay. Let's stay. Okay. Well, let's get some sleep. And then tomorrow, <clears throat> we are going to get some Christmas spirit in here. Okay. <laughs> One of the biggest problems this film has is that everybody thinks they're the star of the movie and doesn't know that they aren't. Mm. Every single character is acting as if they're the main character. The sheriff thinks this is a movie about the sheriff. The mayor <laughs> thinks this is a movie about the mayor. Oh. And that's every character in the whole movie. So there is no nuance because everyone's just auditioning for the next movie simultaneously. And the script does us no favors because... It wants us to feel emotionally invested in Cindy. <laughs> they spend a lot of time at the beginning, really trying to get us to feel for this poor girl who watched her mother die at the hands of the mean one. <laughs> it's a parody. Just be a parody. I don't need to feel a deep emotional connection to Dark Helmet or Princess Vespa to right. think Spaceballs is funny. Just give me as many jokes as possible. This movie makes the idiotic choice to try and be a movie mm -hmm. when we all just came for the laughs. Yeah. And I think it, it was wise of you to just mention Amy Schumacher, who was the mayor. Mayor Margie McBean is the mayor in this film. And I think out of the many levels of terrible acting that are on display, she is consistently the worst. And not only that... It turns out she's one of the producers of the film, so I think it, it, we know how she got the role. It makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the argument for the rest of time. Whenever a producer's like, what if I just had a scene in the movie? Like, you show them this, and it's like, this is why you don't have a scene in the movie. But a mayor. To what do I owe them? What are we going to do about her? Let her grieve. She's in pain. And my heart breaks for her. Can you even imagine? But I am trying to build a brighter tomorrow. And I cannot do that if she keeps dredging up the past. I mean, you remember what it was like. Surprised you do. It's been so long. 
You don't forget the day your home died. And I do want to give a little bit of love here as we're talking about the performances, though. Sure. To David Howard Thornton, who played the mean one, because I I like this guy's brand of sort of physical comedy. Yeah. He's most well known, of course, for playing Art the Clown and Terrifier and Terrifier 2. And those movies certainly aren't for everyone. But I think the silent comedy thing that he does is is interesting. I think he's a good physical performer. He doesn't need he doesn't need lines to be funny. He's trying to be funny with his body. He's a little bit of a blood and guts cartoon of a character mm. in certainly the Terrifier movies and here. When I'm watching all these this terrible acting going on on the screen, whenever they finally decided to show us the mean one, which took forever <laughs> in the film, when we finally get a scene of the mean one, and we get to see him perform and do the physicality. I think that guy knew he was in a comedy and the rest of the cast didn't know they were in a comedy. Yeah, I'll say that's a fair assessment. It was, to me, a riff on Jim Carrey's Grinch to the point very where much. even the character design and everything was very, yeah. very similar. But the movements, the facial expressions, everything really felt to me as if it were derived from Jim Carrey's Grinch. So I didn't really give him any credit. He wasn't really featured in it. He didn't get to do much. And then they really mix the bag up by the end of the film by sort of trying to tug at your heartstrings because they had to end it the way they did. And I mean, almost literally tugging at heartstrings because Uh the end of the Grinch story, of course, is that his heart swells, right? Yeah. And he becomes, he, he loves, he learns to feel love again. And then as thus he becomes... Uh, into Christmas and such. He he's won over by the beauty of the holiday, right? And in here, uh, his heart swells three times the size and literally explodes out of his chest. <laughs> so, um, which then somehow attracts everybody to celebrate Christmas at Newville, which I the, b- b- at the end when there was a sudden because he was dead. Boom. Yes, because they right. wouldn't they wouldn't celebrate before because if you celebrate Christmas, the mean one comes and kills everybody. Right. So there was right. no Christmas down in Newville. And once the Grinch exploded, then everybody in town felt safe to celebrate the holiday again. But that was a big secret that the sheriff and the mayor were keeping, you know, under wraps. So I didn't actually... say it had to make sense. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I think the movie thought made sense. <laughs> which which in fact it did not make sense because it didn't no. like yeah okay no. good I'm i will glad say we agree with this. going back to the the jim carrey bit though the reason i give that credit is because that is a moment where the film knows it's a parody of something i wanted this movie to be a parody and try to be funny and try to do that thing so that was the closest the movie came to referencing some other property Some of as, the pro- yeah right yeah, yeah so that that for me worked and i guess i appreciated that it was another layer it wasn't just parodying the book or the animated film, but also Ron Howard's movie. There was a little bit of all of that in there. When this movie was was. trying to be a parody is when I enjoyed it the most. For me, the only laugh in the entire movie is when they try to say the Grinch name, when they almost say it. What is it? Oh, oh my God. (laughs) I have to be honest, Jason. 
because it's the holidays and we shouldn't be dishonest at the holidays. We want, we want to get presents under the tree. I didn't entirely hate this movie the whole time. (laughs) I have watched a lot of low budget indie films over the last couple of years because I've had the opportunity to be one of the, the jury selectors for Joe Bob Briggs drive in jamboree each year. And so I've watched a lot of low budget indie films recently, and I've seen a lot of really bad stuff Mm -hmm. on the screen, just really, really poorly made. And I did think from a, a production standpoint, it wasn't embarrassing. It, I don't, it felt like whatever money they had made it onto the screen. Yeah. I'll say that they had more money than most of those crap movies that you've seen and i think oh, that their, their cinematographer knew where to put the camera and the shots quite a few of them were decent this movie honest god by the last frame felt like a hallmark christmas film it did it, it did it, it was, was like if hallmark like made one. a horror movie it really really did when they and it was funny because it to speak a little bit more on that technical side with the good shooting and such the beginning the cold open of this thing starts out with a christmas montage that felt right out of a hallmark movie it was very genuine and then they did something very clever they color corrected and they desaturated it and made it into a horror film just by Mm -hmm. tweaking the color and that was very thoughtful and very interesting and it had me for the first what five minutes or so and then it revealed itself to be what it was. It's almost a little bit like Jason 9 there, that Jason Goes to Hell movie, where you had that great open and then the rest of it. This wasn't a particularly great open, but it did have some cleverness to it that it just abandoned later on. It was clear that someone behind the camera knew how to shoot the thing. Yeah. But it was also very clear that Stephen Lamore, who, by the way, his name translates, the director's name, Stephen <laughs> the Death. I have that to think that maybe name. this is not his his God given name. This is so. There's a, you, you're thinking this is like an Alan Smithy kind of situation. I don't know if it's an Alan Smithy sort of thing, but I don't buy that this guy's birth name is Lamort. I'm not having that. Lamort. I'm I'm not having that. But from from Oscar winning director Stephen Lamort. You know what? Everything does sound better in Antonio Banderas's <laughs> voice. Uh, <laughs> I think that you're absolutely right in that. Yes, well, I felt visually it was well composed. Just like the actors thought that they were the star of the show, every scene thought it was the scene of the movie. Mm -hmm. So you're right, everything was happening in its own lane where just like a big part of acting is listening, a big part of making these scenes is listening to the other scenes, and it didn't do that. It was just a series of isolated scenes being acted by a series of isolated actors in a script that forgot to be funny. And because of its very DNA could not be dramatic. And so the whole thing was a jumbled mess, but it tried to be dramatic. That was its biggest mistake. And you, you said as much, right? You said when you really enjoyed this movie was when it decided to actually be a parody. When we met Matthias Zeus, the old town drunkard, oh, the yeah. the crazy Ralph oh, of the movie. God. Nick Nolte in a better movie. Yeah. <laughs> the, everyone calls Doc Zeus, Dr. Yeah. Zeus. Yeah. 
this is where they decided to put some parody in their parody. And the movie went from pointless attempts at being emotional to just being dumb fun, which is all it ever should have tried to be. It did in the second act. It decided to be funny. It it certainly Mm -hmm. did. The minute that it decided that she was somehow going to become a James Cameron heroine and by doing a couple push-ups, punching a dummy a few times and having one round of target practice, she was now ready (laughs) to, I mean, what was the span? The time span was what? 12 hours, maybe like, and then she went, she went from having no skills, no fighting (laughs) skill whatsoever to becoming an absolute badass with yeah. no training other than her None. own workout routine. Her own... I think she might have been wearing the same outfit as she had on when she started the training. <laughs> what was great was there's the scene right after her training where she's like, yeah, I don't care about anything anymore. She's like, she's like, I feel so much better now. I've, I've decided and none of the psychology made any sense whatsoever. But she was wearing like she was wearing a shirt with no sleeves. Yeah. And like these guns just showed up. And I'm like, oh wait a minute, where did those come from? (laughs) Right. That's when they decided they had a stunt woman in their movie and they were putting her in kind of frumpy clothing all along so that later they could just reveal her giant muscles that she grew overnight. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Couldn't they have just had a year pass? You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't have been that hard to just say a year has passed. Right. You know, and these these two idiots are still flirting with each other like like middle schoolers, you know, or something oh. like that. You know, but but instead, no, it, it was like the span of 12 hours. And now she had all these guns, crossbows, weapons, none of which really came into play. She had one bat that she has with Christmas lights all run around it. It was very reminiscent of that baseball bat from The Walking Dead used by Negan. It's called Lucille or something like that. Anyway, I didn't quite understand what they were trying to do with that. Was that like a lightsaber kind of situation? I thought I even heard a lightsaber-ish sound. But yeah, that... they were all over the place. There was a little bit of a lightsaber sound effect, but I do think they were trying to do a Negan reference, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the movie's never really sure what it's doing. That's fair. And yeah. it's, it's just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Mm. So <laughs> maybe it was the john wick-esque scene where the mean one lays waste to a room full of santa and his little helpers santa con yep there was nothing for them to do in this place other than sit and wait to be murdered and i i didn't even understand what the hell happened to the one guy at the end of the bar was he put in a meat grinder? Maybe we didn't have a good time in our 20s and 30s hanging out at a bar because it didn't have an industrial meat grinder in the front of the house. But right. apparently in Newville, industrial meat grinder is just right out front of the bar. <laughs> Jason, the way that I know that Gremlins is in fact a Christmas movie <laughs> is that I didn't include it on my bottom five presents because I tried really hard for this episode not to do Christmas presents. Oh, okay. That was my approach. I challenged myself not to do as much as I would have loved Clark Griswold's Jelly of the Month Club to be on my list. I tried to steer clear and give myself that extra challenge. That was my approach. But I'd love to hear your approach to our bottom five presents and 
hear how you started your list. There was no real approach for me. In fact, why don't you just keep naming off movies and maybe you can pick off all five of mine. So Did I? You know. No, maybe. Maybe no, but you, I, maybe but, you didn't. You want to keep going? And, and no, I want you... you to go. I want to hear your five. Come on. I want to hear your five. All right. All right. My number five is, unfortunately, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, <laughs> but it is not the Jelly of the Month oh, Club. Oh, see? It all right. Not, this is already, okay? this is great. So, in a movie that's absolutely filled with terrible gifts, May Kestel's Aunt Bethany wrapping up her cat. <laughs> As a, to me is the gold standard but only by a hair because the other thing is the jello mold that has cat food in it those yes. two in tando the aunt bethany gifts if uh-huh. i could just if i could just cheat and have two from that movie i think both of those are actually worse than the jelly of the month club because as cousin eddie says it's the gift that just keeps on giving so <laughs> Whereas you're so right, <laughs> and I, you know, the cat then gets out and, of course, gets electrocuted and all the things yeah. that happens with that. But yeah, how can I not with this list? I mean, I know you were very gracious in not going the Christmas route. I may have gone the Christmas route a couple times here, but sure. largely I did try to to throw a couple other ones in that weren't as obvious. But Jeremiah Chichek's Christmas Vacation. Seriously, probably one of the movies I watched the most around this time of year. So I had to mention it. I think it, it it's a prime example of terrible gift giving. This feels like Mike Merrigan pandering because you know that Christmas Vacation is one of my very favorite movies, period. Not just of the holidays, but you, you do know this about me. You know my undying love for this movie. I'm so impressed that you managed to avoid the obvious pick i couldn't be any more happy with your your uh, your choices right here you couldn't be more surprised if you woke up tomorrow with your head sewn to the carpet <laughs> <That's> so funny <laughs> <laughs> well for my number five i'm starting off a little cheeky here because this isn't a gift given in a movie hmm. but rather it's a real life gift given to a real-life movie star, and it didn't end well. I love this story. I love this story. So Leonardo DiCaprio made the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, and it was produced by a company called Red Granite. As a gift, Red Granite gave Leonardo DiCaprio Marlon Brando's Oscar from 1954 for On the Waterfront. They had purchased it from a memorabilia dealer or whatever. The story ends up being that It's kind of perfect for The Wolf of Wall Street because the production company Red Granite ended up being investigated by the Department of Justice for money laundering. And in the end, they were forced to forfeit all kinds of assets, things like jewelry, paintings, and yes, Marlon Brando's Oscar from 1954 that they had to get back from Leonardo DiCaprio and give to the Department of Justice. So... There's so much to unpack here with this whole gift giving thing. But what really jumps out at me is that buying Marlon Brando's Oscar for On the Waterfront 
and giving it away to Leonardo DiCaprio, who lost the Oscar that year to Matthew McConaughey, is so unbelievably crass. It's like something Hannibal Lecter would eat your face for. (laughs) So Leonardo DiCaprio's Sour Grapes participation trophy was actually earned by Marlon Brando and confiscated by the DOJ because it was purchased by money launderers. That, to me, is a bottom five movie gift. Oh my God. I wonder if now it's in with the Ark of the Covenant in that <laughs> giant warehouse. We can only assume. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, that's a great story. I have never heard that story. It's, and yeah. That's fascinating and, to me. And, and to be clear, Leonardo DiCaprio completely worked with the Department of Justice on this. They were like, oh yeah. I mean, these guys gave me a Picasso. I didn't know they were laundering money. Here's all the stuff back. So, oh my God. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Leonardo was not the bad guy in this story, <laughs> except that he accepted it in the first place when he didn't win the Oscar. Like, come on. Who does yeah. that? I don't know. It's a little cheeky. Well, my number four is a more traditional and straight up terrible gift. And you're going to love it because Knight Rider's own William Daniels is the one that gives the gift. And that is. In the 1967 classic, The Graduate, it's the scuba gear that Dustin Hoffman's father gives him, along with Elizabeth Wilson, who plays Hoffman's mother. They they still treat their grown son as this like little boy that they need to show <laughs> off. And so they all kind of chant and say, come out, come out. And, you know, they pull him out and he's in this scuba gear and then they walk him <laughs> over. It's this weird point of view shot. It's it it's an absolute showstopper of a scene where it's you're just filled with cringy embarrassment as this grown man has to walk out in this scuba gear and he kind of just plods out and it's all (laughs) shot from this pov as he enters the pool and the greatest touch is the bottom of the frame you see the little flappy feet come out of the fins (laughs) It's so great, but it ends with this. Well, first of all, he gets into the pool and then he looks up and as he's looking, this is brilliantly directed by Mike Nichols. He's looking up and he sees his parents and they're all laughing and they're kind of pushing him down further into the water and and smiling and laughing. Oh my God. (laughs) It's like this existential nightmare. And it ends with him at the bottom of the pool in this long, really long shot where you pull away from him underwater. And just see him there, and he the, the bubbles are going blub, 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 <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think out of all the gifts that I've seen given, that one has that cringe factor to it. That real, uh-huh, for oh sure. my god, they don't understand me. I don't even understand myself and why I'm in that this situation. <laughs> so definitely, at my number four, the graduate scuba gear. This is how I know it's Christmas time is because my face hurts right now from smiling at your bottom five. I'm like, I'm having such a good time with with all of these pics you're giving me. It's wonderful. It is, in fact, the most wonderful time of the year. My number four reflects the idea that this bottom five is one of those where my number four could easily be my number one. Hmm. You see, it's okay to buy your son a birthday gift. It's even okay to try and get a good deal on something and save a few bucks. (laughs) What you probably shouldn't do is buy a cheap doll from a homeless guy because it might be possessed by a serial killer. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. My my number four is Chucky from the Child's Play movies. (laughs) 
Andy's mom just wanted to give the kid what he wanted for his birthday. And instead she sets him on a path for lifelong trauma and mayhem (laughs) and sets us as an audience on a path for eight Chucky related movies, a TV series, and at least the best part of Steven Spielberg's ready player one. But we can all agree (laughs) that a homicidal doll is a bottom five gift. I, I almost had it at my number three. Yeah. And I just couldn't commit to it because it no? was it was too obvious. It was too obvious. Mm-hmm. It is legitimately yeah, had... the worst gift. It is. Yeah. It is the yeah. worst gift. Yep. I mean, because of all that comes out of it and stuff. Although, you know, we did get Jennifer Tilly in that series of movies. So, uh-huh. you know, there is that. There is that. <laughs> I wanted to bring you something to help you through this difficult time. I say that would have been too obvious as a number three. And then I went ahead with probably the most obvious number three. Thank you for setting it up for me in your intro. It is, in fact, Gremlins. Joe Dante's wonderful, crazy, cartoonish horror comedy set around Christmas. Here I am saying, I don't go for Christmas horror. I don't go for Christmas comedy horror. I don't like blending these genres together. And here's the only one I think that does it perfectly, right? Perfectly. It is a very, very funny movie. It is hilarious, and it features what could be one of the worst gifts ever, that damn Mogwai. While Gizmo is certainly cute, I think that it's an obvious, terrible idea to just give it to a teenage son and be like, okay, here you go. You know, not knowing anything about it, not knowing where it came from or what kind of diseases it might have or anything right. like this. Right. This thing is a completely alien species. Just drop it and go, okay, yeah. Oh, by the way, there's some rules that you have to obey. The rules don't even make sense. And yet, they make no sense. And yet, of course, they get broken and then they turn into gremlins and then there's tons of them and they ruin the whole damn town. They get inside Dick Miller's tractor. Which sounds like a weird euphemism for something I don't really. <laughs> but and then, you know, the whole thing is is complete mayhem. So I think that there it's an obvious choice. And I get that. Just like Chucky, right? You went Chucky. Yeah. I went Gremlins. Some um, things have to be on the you, list you if just we're going to have a legitimate list. I don't. And I love the fact that we didn't talk. We never do. We never talk about our list. We don't really know. Every once in a while we overlap. But we but don't compare case, notes. In this case, I love the fact that. We went in two different directions. We probably both knew, considering, you probably didn't think I would go this obvious, though, right? I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, I usually try to be a little more obscure. But you're always way more clever at the bottom five than I am. Oh, I don't think that's true. You're the one that had Tom Hanks fucking a volleyball. So, I mean, it's you can only yeah, I be wasn't so. Wrong. <laughs> I wasn't wrong about that one. <laughs> but I, I think that with Gremlins, the whole movie is based on the premise of this bad gift. Just like with Chucky, right? It's the same kind of thing. Without the bad gift, you don't get the great movie. Well, okay. Gremlins is a great movie. Child's Play. Mm. My number three is actually two gifts that go together. Oh. But they're of a piece. I am going to go with, for my number three, the pink Cadillac that Johnny Roast Beef gives his wife and the mink coat that Frankie Carboni gives his wife in Martin Scorsese's Good fellas. Is she gorgeous? I bought it for my wife. It's a cool. I love that car. Listen. What did I tell you? I talked to you before, didn't I? Did I say what was going on? 
nice enough to go buy anything for a while. Yeah, but the, it's a wedding gift, Jimmy. It's from my mother. It's under her name. I just got married. Look at that car. Excuse me, Dolly, for just a second. I just got married. Johnny, are you, are you nuts? What are you getting excited so for, Jimmy? What am I getting excited for? Are you stupid? We got a million fucking bulls out there. Everybody's watching us, and you get a fucking car. But you're telling me I'm excited? My mother's name. It's a wedding gift. Give a fuck whose name it's under. Are you stupid or what? Did you hear what I said? Don't buy anything. Don't get anything. Nothing big. Did you hear what I said? What's the matter with you? Robert De Niro's gangster Jimmy Conway has given specific instructions to lay low after the gang gets away with their $6 million Lufthansa heist. But Johnny and Frankie just can't help themselves and they buy these lavish gifts. And so now Jimmy has to make them disappear. Yeah. Johnny Roast Beef and his wife end up killed inside the Cadillac. Frankie ends up frozen in a meat locker. And to me, no car. No coat is worth that. They knew they could pull off the heist. They knew they could get away from the law, but they couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah. And they pay with their lives. And that's all over that film. Yeah. Those deaths are presented in a montage sequence Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. They don't get a whole lot of screen time necessarily, but Scorsese uses it so deftly to communicate what is going on with the other characters in the movie. He's tying up loose ends narratively and he's telling us more about the character and his headspace at that point in the story. It's just clearly, I don't need to explain to our audience that Goodfellas is brilliant, but it's a good example for me of what makes that movie so great. Well, Mike at my number two, I'm going with my cheat. And this one is a gift in quotes. And it is referred to as a gift. But technically, I would say this is more of a curse. This is from 1983's The Dead Zone, when Johnny Smith gets his psychic powers. Mm. And at one point, Tom Skerritt appeals to his better senses and says... I was sorry to hear about your mother's death, John. Mr. Smith, I understand she was a good woman. Christian woman. Not a religious man myself, I'm sorry to say. But I will say this. If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You know what God did for me? He threw an 18-wheel truck at me, bounced me into nowhere for five years. When I woke up, my, my, my girl was gone, my... Job was gone. My legs are just about useless. Bless me. God's been a real sport to me. Love it. It's great. It's it's absolutely brilliant writing, brilliant acting. And the film, again, the gift is the whole reason for the film. Yeah. And the thing is, this thing, I, I can't think of a gift that's worse. The gift to see the future, but see tragic, horrible things in part from first person when he Mm -hmm. figures out who the murderer is that's killing the young girls in town at sheriff bannerman's behest he sees the murder first person from the murderer's point of view as if he's committing as if he's committing the murders absolutely chilling and nothing i can think of that's much worse Talk about a gift I just absolutely wouldn't want. And then later on, he shakes the hands of Martin Sheen's crooked senator and sees essentially the end of the world. What does Sheen say? He says something along the lines of, 
The missiles are away, boys. Hallelujah. Like that. It's just oh. an unbelievable movie. Um, I think it's David Cronenberg's best film. It's uh, an underrated gem. It's probably the best Stephen King adaptation. It actually one-ups the book in my mind. Uh, if you haven't seen The Dead Zone from 1983, it can't be more recommended. This might be the longest stretch of time that you have been speaking on film jitsu and i have just been ferociously nodding in agreement because <laughs> everything that just came out of your mouth i am a hundred percent on board with the adaptation it's underrated the acting i couldn't agree more yeah. this is i think maybe my favorite stephen king adaptation as well it's unbelievable you nailed this i toyed with the idea a little bit of oh no way really not this title though oh. i actually because you're smarter than I am. I was trying to find a gift, a supernatural gift, a X-Man kind of thing. And I couldn't come up with one that satisfied me. And that's just because I didn't think of this because it's such a perfect example of that kind of thing. Well, Sam Raimi's movie, The Gift, has, I think, is it Kate Blanchett that has the psychic powers in that one? Yep. And they call it The Gift. Not a particularly great movie, but an interesting one that I thought might fall in with some of this so i'm i'm curious what, what's your next one my number two i decided to since we're talking christmas <laughs> talk more about horror movies you know how i roll <laughs> uh, the tannis root necklace that minnie gives rosemary in 1968's rosemary's baby oh yes it wouldn't be christmas if we weren't talking about satanists <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary and her husband, they move into their new apartment and in short order, their elderly neighbors, the Castavets, insinuate themselves into the couple's lives. One day, Minnie Castavet, who is an Oscar winning performance by Ruth Gordon as mm -hmm. this crazy out there neighbor, <laughs> gives Rosemary a necklace. She says it's a good luck charm that belonged to a girl she and her husband had taken in off the streets who ended up dead. But why worry about that? Right. <laughs> the necklace has this round silver ball that smells terrible because it's full of tannis root, but Rosemary takes it anyway, not knowing that tannis root is also called the devil's pepper. Minnie, <laughs> mm -hmm. of course, is trying to use Rosemary as an incubator for the Antichrist, and the necklace is all part of the plan. So my <laughs> thought is like, when a Satanist gives you some kind of smells like shit Antichrist vitamin <laughs> necklace, you should just probably re-gift that son of a bitch and get on with your day. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. I, it's This is exactly the kind of pick that I was hoping to find. And it just mm. never came to me. That mm. is That is absolutely the perfect pick for this list. done to it what have you done to its eyes he has his father's eyes well my number one spot is a very very recent film and that would be last year's smile and the gift in this thing i i i there's never been anything more upsetting more frightening writer director parker finn really went for broke during this debut film uh, with scares and outright grimness, sadness, and melancholy, my young son, when he saw this thing, said, I'm depressed at the end of this movie. <laughs> and uh -huh. it really is a meditation on grief and sorrow. But 
at around the midway point where things are starting to ramp up and the lead character, Rose, played by Sosie Bacon, has just started to lose more and more of her reality around her as she keeps seeing these smiling faces kind of popping out at her. Yeah. She has started to lose a little bit of time. So she takes time off from work, and that allows her to go to her nephew's birthday party, where she shows up with a choo-choo train that is in no way what she thought she had actually wrapped. In fact, what was in the box... What's in the box? Oh, my God. Her dead cat mustache. And the little boy opens it up. She freaks out because she'd been looking for the cat. She sees the cat. She realizes that she's probably the one that wrapped it. It is all of these things happening all at once. Then she freaks out, falls backwards into a glass table, and cuts her arm open. This child is forever scarred out of this. Mm. That is why it is my number one. What a fantastic pick. That scene is doing so much work in the movie. The, it really conveys more than a lot of other films, what the nightmare would be of realizing that a loved one of yours was psychologically cracked because everybody in the room, her, her closest family look at her horrified at what's going on. And that's when you realize that nobody will ever even for a second entertain that what's happening to her is happening to her. And you realize she is truly alone in this fight with this evil entity. It's so good. But as the viewer, you're not a hundred percent convinced even that, that the, the horror is real at that point. I know when I was watching, I was like, Ooh, we're still in psychological horror territory here. That's right. It's possible that this really is her. You know, we're seeing a lot of this stuff, but we're seeing it kind of from her perspective. Right. Is she crazy? That's perfect. Jesus. That's such a good pick, Jason. (laughs) Good Lord. I got one more. We're at my number one. Yep. Yep. You, you belly ached a little bit ago that maybe I had referenced the things you were going to talk about Mm -hmm. you just did that to me with my number one oh give me your gun what's going on over there put the the gun down i saw you with the box what was in the box because i envy your normal life put the gun down baby it seems that envy is my sin oh what's in the box what's in the fucking box give me the gun he just told you (laughs) this is my number one because of course it's my number one of course it is yeah it's your pregnant wife's head <laughs> in a box given to you by a serial killer. Yeah. How could that be anything other than my number one? And also it has the distinction of becoming that moment, a little bit of a cultural meme because even you just did it. What's in the <laughs> box is now kind of a joke, right? But good Lord, that scene is harrowing. <laughs> I didn't know that I was going to struggle between David Fincher films and formulating this list. And the only reason I didn't go with David Fincher's The Game is because (laughs) I know how much you hate that movie. But that is also (laughs) a movie where the family buys the game experience for Michael Douglas and he thinks his life is being ruined and he tries to kill himself. And that's a pretty bad gift to give somebody overall. But this had to be the number one for me. So what's in the box? That's absolutely the worst possible gift 
<laughs> it's even worse than a dead cat. <laughs> what does it say about us that our bottom five, our number one is like, oh, a mangled cat. Oh, a guy's dead wife's head in a box. <laughs> like, what is the matter with us? Why are we so broken? Why is it we not sh- the, just the Jelly of the Month Club? We should have been talking about the Jelly of the Month Club the whole time. <laughs> Well, Mike, we're wrapping up this holiday episode with a little game of... Wrapping up? (laughs) Well done. (laughs) (laughs) What better way than to give Film Jitsu Land the gift of a game of Kick 2, Pick 2? I think this one's going to be hard. I don't even know what it's going to be, but I feel like it's going to be hard. Well, it might be. It might be. It might not be. And of course, I went, because I have no brain, I just went really, really basic for holiday films sure absolutely so here they come ready i am ready number one it's a wonderful life number two a christmas story number three this one will hurt national lampoon's christmas vacation and number four muppet christmas carol what do you do what do you do pop quiz Wow. Well, as previously mentioned, National Lampoon is absolutely one of my favorite comedies, full stop, holiday or no. Yep. So that one sticks. That one's but it you, right away. Just like but that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But I think you <laughs> knew that going in, which is why you wanted to make it really hurt when I had to look at the other three. <laughs> Are there any that jump out for you immediately? Absolutely. Um, National okay. Lampoon. <laughs> okay. I couldn't right. possibly get rid of it. The right. other one is, oh, the other one's tough, to be honest. I okay. struggle. I didn't put Scrooged in this list because I wanted uh-huh. to keep it for myself. I still love it. It's not I as good as I used it. to. I was just going to say, I watched it every year for a long time. And then recently, I, I had kind of been watching it less. And then recently had watched it and hadn't loved it as much. Mm. But it does have Karen Allen in it. And I love her in that. And I do like Bill Murray's performance. I think he's very, very funny. But it is very noisy, very loud, very mm-hmm. anti-Christmas in many respects because of just how sure. how yeah. brash and brazen and loud it is. So I, I, I left it off the list because I didn't want to have to deal with that one. I threw in Muppet sure. Christmas Carol because I had the sense that maybe you were a fan. Was I I'm wrong? Sure on I am. That? No, you're not wrong. I, I right love Muppet okay. Christmas Carol. What right. makes Muppet Christmas Carol amazing is that Michael Caine plays it straight, right? Like, as straight yes. as possible. Yeah. It's what makes the movie brilliant. He's with all these zany Muppets, and he went into the movie and said, "I am going to play this like I am in the West End, yeah. and I am just going to go for it as legit, straight up, hardcore as I can." as a true honest to God actor. And that's what makes it work <laughs> so well in the film. I yeah. love Muppet Christmas Carol. All right. So that's definitely still in the running for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm a little interested to hear about a Christmas story for you, because this seems like one of those things that you would hate. I love it. I love it. You do. I love it so, so much that okay. it is on from Christmas Eve all the way through Christmas yeah. Day. 
You're on one of my those. television. Oh, I am one of those. A hundred percent one of those. The only way that it comes off is if I decide to watch Christmas Vacation instead. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I'm right yeah. there with you. Okay, I thought for sure this was going to be one of those things that like culture ruined this movie by doing no. the 24 hour thing. Nope. Okay, not for Man, me. Look at the look it, you. Your heart is is going to grow two sizes this day. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm having my own Jason Santo Grinch moment. This is this is really I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling warm by the fireside finding out this about you. The challenge for me is really that I also truly love It's a Wonderful Life as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant film. So I have a really hard time kicking that out of a list. Yeah. Um Muppet Christmas Carol, I never saw or i saw only pieces of it i never watched the whole thing through so i always was an albert finney scrooge guy sure so yeah. I, I really like it. i know it's a musical and i know i said i hate musicals i did i am not consistent what can i say you said you hate but... christmas comedies too <laughs> but there it is right <laughs> yeah and you love but, gremlins um, but i love gremlins right christmas horror comedies specifically right and i'm like no i've got nothing for well gremlins but again <laughs> I don't, yeah, anyway, I don't want to get into the argument of whether or not it's a Christmas movie. It just happens to be set at Christmas. <laughs> anyway, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, a Christmas Story, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, three great movies. I may have seen a Christmas story enough to maybe kick it out of the list and keep It's a Wonderful Life because I don't watch that one enough. Mm. And it is brilliant. But I'm, oh, but I don't know because you know what? Christmas Story really is a Christmas movie, and It's a Wonderful Life is just a great story about someone realizing at Christmas time that uh-huh. he's better off living. Shit. I don't Are you know. making the bold claim that It's a Wonderful Life isn't a proper Christmas film? I think you could. There's a world where you could totally do that. Yeah. Oh, I think you I'll could totally make that, that argument. Yeah. I, I could say that It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas film, and therefore. I'm going to knock it off this list. You might set the internet on fire with I this kind of this nonsense. I doubt this very highly. I doubt that very highly. <laughs> All that said, I don't know if I'm keeping It's a Wonderful Life either, but <laughs> I I am so tempted to do that because Muppets, Christmas Story, that's all comedy. National Lampoon is comedy. And mm. what It's a Wonderful Life does, if I really want to go for the variety, is maybe at Christmas time we do need a little bit of that feel-good but I'd argue a Christmas story has that, and it's about Christmas. It's not I, just a comedy. Mm. So you went with Christmas Story and National I did. Lampoon. Yeah. Can I come to your house and watch a Christmas story? Yes. Okay, then I'm going with the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> really? You went with the Muppets yeah, I'm going, over? It's I'm a going with the Muppets life. then. Yeah, it's fine. Wow. Yeah, it's fine. Then I'm going with the Muppets. If I can watch Christmas Story at your house, I'm watching. The, it's gonna be. It's gonna be the the Muppet Christmas Carol, at National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh my God, we both just put It's a Wonderful Life in the dumpster. Yeah. Oh my yep, God. that's what we did. Oh, that's what we did. I don't feel that's... good. Of, I don't feel good. Why did this end up being so difficult? I thought this was not going to be that hard to kick two pick <laughs> that, two. That's what you could say that about Christmas. Why does this have to be so difficult? I thought this was going to be easy. Why can't we have nice things? What time does everybody go home? Do you know how much fucking money I spent this year to make this happen? And now this is the way you people are going to behave? Hallelujah. Holy, Holy shit. shit. Where's, Where's the, the title? Tylenol? Before we begin, 
Since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! Well, with all that said, I think it's about time that we wrap up this... Oh, God, I did it again. <laughs> so many. Oh. So many wrappings. It's time we gift bag this motherfucker. <laughs> I think it's about time that we put a bow on this episode, stick it under the tree, and then give it a little time. A little time. Just sit there looking nice until we release it out into the world. And maybe an angel will get its wings and a bell will ring and then suddenly it'll be the end of the year. And you know what that means, right? You know what that means? I do. We're doing a special end of the year episode too. <laughs> it's not It's not just the holidays filled with gift giving and, and gore. No, no. We have a special end of the year episode of Film Jitsu coming your way. Mike, you want to give them a little bit of an idea of what we're going to be doing? As we come to the end of the year, we decided we should do our... Film Jitsu Year in Review. We wanted to take a look back. We've we brought the show back in 2023. It's been wonderful for me to get to do this project with you. I've had so much fun watching all of these movies, talking about these movies, thinking about film again, arguing with you, which is pretty much my favorite thing to do. And so we wanted to take a look back at this year of Film Jitsu and do our very own Year in Review. We're going to take a look at the films that we've reviewed throughout the year and give out some awards, the Jitsus. The Jitsus. We're going to give out the Jitsus. The Jits. Yeah, we got a bad we're case of the Jits next week. Bad case of the Jits next week. That sounds <laughs> and great. And so what we're going to do is kind of like the Oscars, we're going to award the films that we have watched with things like Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, all of those kind of fun categories. And we're going to take a look specifically just at the film Jitsu year in review and tell you what we think our favorites of this past year have been. But of course we like to have a little more fun than that. And so Jay, why don't you let our listeners know what we decided to do for the bottom five? Well, Mike, for our special end of the year episode, we've decided to have a bottom five film jitsu moments. And what that <laughs> means exactly is where did we most screw up? <laughs> Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? What have we, we done We certainly wrong? couldn't do a top five film jitsu moments that we wouldn't, we'd be done in no time. <laughs> but I think we're our own worst critics and our own sort of biggest supporters. I love listening to you on the show. You always tell me the same, but one of our favorite things is the screw ups, the flubs, the things we got wrong, the ridiculous technical errors, whatever that is. So let's have a little bit of fun. We spend our entire year poking fun at all of these other movies, but like, who the hell are we, Good right? Point. So let's turn that lens back on ourselves yeah. and criticize our own dumbass show for one episode and have a laugh at ourselves for a change and do those bottom five film jitsu moments. I think that was a great idea. That was your idea. So yeah, great idea. It was yes. my idea. It was a great idea. It was a great idea. <laughs> So until next time, we've been your hosts. I'm Jay. And I am Mike. And we'll see you next time. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.
right? Yeah. I'll try and do I'll try and do a like a, a Christmas remix of the We could just sing it. That's really good. Why are you so good at making acapella Christmas music? Uh, it's just it's the hidden talents of me. I can't think, but I, I can yes. make weird sounds with my mouth. 